This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. You're listening to Live and Learn with me, Dashran Johan. The Malaysian Communications and Multimedia Commission, MCMC, is demanding that the new site, Malaysia Now, amend or remove articles reporting on the chaos in Dewan Rakyat last week. According to Malaysia Now, MCMC gave them two hours to do so or face, and I quote, further enforcement actions. The articles in question are two reports titled Block PN Kluar, Tambon Peliwat Bergema di Dewan Rakyat Selepas PM Serang Radzi and the English version of that article as well. As of this recording, the articles are still available on the Malaysia Now website. Now, according to Malaysia Now, MCMC said that the articles, and I quote, do not reflect the true context of the speech in question, end quote, adding that the headlines were also, and I quote again, disrespectful and insulting, end quote. This move by the MCMC has been met by backlash by members of the civil society society, including the likes of Lawyers for Liberty and the Centre for Independent Journalism, CIJ. So joining me on the show today to unpack everything is Wachala Naidu, Executive Director of CIJ. Welcome to the show, Wachala. Yeah, thank you. Hi, Dashran. Can you provide some context, Wachala, regarding the recent controversy between MCMC and Malaysia now over the reports on the Day One riot records? Um, what are your overall thoughts on it? Yeah, I think we we all know what happened um, last week uh, at the parliament, right? That whole commotion mm-hmm. and, you know, some of the behaviours we, in, in, in fact, think it's so unacceptable and we are not used to this, you know, as Malaysians, right? Absolutely. And it's even going against the rules of day one, right? Yeah. But the issue here is that, one, the incident had really gone viral. Uh, it's been picked up by not just me, several media, but it's also, you know, been picked up by netizens. You know, there are memes out of it now. So the content is out there. Uh, the issue with us is, I think, when uh, MCMC issued the directive to Malaysia now, uh, it was targeting Malaysia now on the basis, I would say, uh, of either the headlines or the angle the story had taken, Right. Now, the question before us then is, what is really the role of MCMC here? They right. are the internet regulator. Then, so they have to be governed by the Communications and Multimedia Act. And as they say, also in, in reference to the content uh, code by the content forum. Yeah. Now, give, having said all that, uh, if we are to balance that with ethical and responsible reporting, at which point does it co- cross the boundaries? Yeah. Right. Yes, of course it's taking a particular angle, right? And but we know for a fact that media in Malaysia is not necessarily, you know, non-partisan. They always will be taking an angle, right? So, but then does that mean then MCMC, i.e., also seen as a representative of the government, because it mm. is part of the current administration, right? It's part of the administration, right? Does that mean that MCMC then becomes the arbiter of what content is acceptable or what should be the role of media? I think that is here uh, the core of the issue here because one, uh, you know, we, MCMC, of course, is uh, guided by uh, or is mandated by the Communications and Multimedia Act. The provisions they always invoke, Section 233, in itself is very, very broad and too weak. Right? And it's been criticized uh, for years already now. And there's been commitments to review this, but we haven't seen any changes. Now, if you're using that, then anything is annoying, quote unquote. Right? Anything can then be uh, against uh, the law. 
So in this case, I think the the call out to MCMC is one, you really need to understand your role in as internet regulator, right? Uh, and then provide clarity in terms of why the content that you think is problematic uh, should be restricted, right? So I think a, a broad statement saying that, you know, it's manip- uh, you know it's been used to uh, to manipulate content creating feelings of disrespect and all doesn't say anything how it, where is the harm all right right uh, so this is why we find it really controversial and we're not going into of course the headlines or the news content we are looking at the role of mcmc really right uh, and what we- would you say is the role of mcmc because like you said mcmc has called for the press to practice, um, quote-unquote, responsible journalism and not spread, quote-unquote, manipulative content. This is MCMC, which is coming out. Um, is mm-hmm. it MCMC's job to dictate what is responsible journalism, what is not, what is manipulative content, so on and so forth? Um, what exactly is the role of MCMC, actually? You know, after the statement that they issued last week on the 22nd, I'm asking the same question. <laughs> if you look at the act, I think the, the role is very, very clear, right? They are regulating internet spaces, right? But then in that context also, if you look, uh, read uh, at, uh, Section 3 of the Communications and Multimedia Act, it clearly says that the intention is not to censor the internet. Mm. Right. So now if if MCMC is guided by the Communications and Multimedia Act, Article, uh, Section 3 then must always be at the center of what it does. Yeah. So, yes, its role is to look at content, receive complaints, investigate. Yeah. And take action in terms of content that contravenes uh, Communications and Multimedia Act. They are indeed acting within their mandate. I'm not saying that they're going beyond their mandate, right. but I think the perception they're creating now is that they are the ones also regulating, quote unquote, the media. All right? right. So now that becomes a little bit pro- problematic. Does that mean then MCMC is the one determining what is ethical, what is responsible reporting? Right. Yep, that's not their role. Right, and in fact, that role should be the role uh, of the media council, yet to be established media council. So the fear becomes that the MCMC now determines that uh, what should be the prevailing narrative, what is acceptable and what is not acceptable, and that is really overreaching and going beyond, you know, what's really should in principle be their role as internet regulator. Now, speaking of ethical considerations that journalists um, and, and media outlets should uphold, um, in a statement released by, um, you know, this joint statement released by you guys, by Garam and others, argued that media practitioners are guided by professionalism and a code of ethics. Could you expand on this? Um, by What do you mean by, um, you know, this, this sense of professionalism and, and code of ethics? What should media outlets do um, and what have they been doing? Yeah. I mean, I think most media uh, organizations will say that they are guided by basic ethics, uh, responsible reporting and professionalism, right? In terms of accuracy, you're looking at, say, integrity, impartiality, yeah. independence. How do you ensure that your content you know, uh, is objective, minimizes harm, uh, it protects privacy of people? But the core of it, how do you place the public interest at the center of reporting? 
Yeah, that's a general, universally accepted um, ethics, uh, you know, in terms of uh, journalistic practices. The challenge, I would say, uh, in Malaysia and in many other countries is the the question about how independent is our media. Right. And we know in terms, a lot of it is also due to our ownership structures, right? right. We have big monopolies, basically. And most of them are also rather partisan. I mean, this is the norm, the reality in Malaysia. So in that context, you know, we can talk about objectivity, independence, you know, and things like that. But there will always be news angles, right? And that's why I think uh, whenever we look at ethics there, I mean, there can never be one uniform set of ethics, right? There has to be, it has to be a living uh consideration in terms of what ethics, given the changes in the media landscape. But it is also very, very critical, especially in Malaysia, where we have different sets of laws that kind of uh, regulate media. On one hand, you have Printing Presses and Publications Act, you have uh, Communications and Multimedia Act, and a whole lot of other penal code provisions, for example, as well as Sedition Code that uh, acts to censor content. Right. right. So in that context, then we there is a need to harmonize these different ethics that are out there. Right. There has to be one set of code of conduct that can then be the guide in terms of how we interpret this. I think it's it's more of an interpretation, not not to tell media how you should be doing things because they have been doing things in a certain way. Right. Right. But the, the other side of it, and I think this is most important for Malaysia, when it comes to any kind of restrictions, there has to be clarity in terms of the standards that are applied. Right. Yeah. So it, it's not just about promoting a st- certain standard, but also giving very clear rationale and justification on what kind of content should be restricted. Yeah. And this is where we should be guided by international principles. Right. right. You know, it's always it always boils down to legitimacy, necessity of the restriction. What is the proportionality of the um, act? Uh, of restriction and finally is it in the public's interest and i think that's where when we talk about ethics um it's really not a homogeneous thing it's not a sub thing but it's something that continues to grow evolve but also to bind the media together in terms of pushing for responsible reporting which I want to pick up on a point you mentioned. Um, you said that most media are driven, or at least at its core, you know, it has professionalism, um, objective content. Um, but some might argue that most media are actually driven by profit. Um, and over the past, and I, and you touched on this a little bit, but I want to dive into that a little bit more, right? Because as the years went by, especially over the past two to three decades, media has become a very commercialized um, um, type of landscape, right? Um, people and grassroots funded media is few and far between. Most media companies make money from advertising. It is the big tycoons. It is the big companies that are is essentially mm-hmm. put, paying the salaries of most media people. Now, advertisers, they only care about one thing, clicks, readership, listenership, viewership. And so we get the rise of sensational content, um, you know, media are emphasizing on petty culture wars because that is what riles up audience. That's what drives clicks, especially in the age of social media. How do we tackle something like this and still keep, you know, that, that whole principle of freedom of media, media as the fourth estate, so on and so forth? Yeah, I think um, if we, we take a very purely idealistic view of it, you're right. You know, we, we, there is this, this view 
of the the critical importance and you know of the role of media, right? And especially if we are looking at a, a democracy and the need for you know public to have information that can be trusted, right? To then enable us to make the decision. Well, the reality is exactly as what you said, right? It has now become business models, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just monopoly. I mean, we are looking at oligarchies, not just in Malaysia, but globally, right? Right. Uh, you know, even thinking about Fox and how there is uh, Rupert Murdoch's changes and how the implication on not just you know media in in America, US, but also globally, it's huge, right? And and that is again that it it boils down to two things, right? One is profit, definitely profit, right? Mm-hmm. It's the bus- the entire business model now is moving far away from uh, public interest media, right? It's uh, it's really grounded in terms of what is the most we can make out of these models that we have, right? right? And that also goes then ties in with power, yeah. So when we talk, and and at the same time, of course, we've seen this this yeah. turnaround when it comes to you know financial sustainability of media. The last few years, we've been talking about it, right? We've seen media shutting down, people losing jobs. And so on, and we're also seeing the, the the transition in the business models, like how we are looking at. So it's not just about relying on advertise uh, advertisements, right? It's also about subscription. And you know, yeah. you have even uh, media like Wall Street Journal even looking at say content marketing. You know, they're right. curating other people's products and you know selling it on their platform. So it is it is the reality, right? So what uh, on one hand uh, we we look to media for its role to, for it to play its role. On the other hand, we also have to apply, you know, the business and human rights lens. Right. Yeah, <laughs> when when it comes to media, so tackling this is very difficult because now we we have another, you know, uh, I, I don't want to call it evil because we're all there, but social media is there, right? Uh, and so sources of information has evolved as well. Uh, and that now has brought about um, the, you know, trust deficit when it comes to our legacy or traditional media. So tackling this is it's going to be very, very challenging. Right? And it has to be, again, done in different uh, levels. One, as I said, there has to be some clarity in terms of standards we apply. Clarity um, and the need for a self-regulation mechanism so that they can also be empowered to self-regulate themselves and hold each other accountable. But I think ultimately also to have that space where people, you know, a mechanism where people can go for arbitration of their, you know, what they consider as a breach of the standards uh, or a violation, you know, in terms of airing their grievances and making sure that they get redressed. So all these are going to be uh, required so that, we can battle with media every time uh, or hold media accountable each time you feel, hey, uh, yes, I understand your need you know, for clickbaits, understand your, uh, your need to increase your leadership, uh, readership, but that doesn't mean that you, know, you, you don't adhere to certain standards. So there has to be that level of clarity. But I think we also need readers, listeners now to be more media and digital literate. And, and, you know, it's not just, you know, media talking about media. It's not right. about the government or the state, you know, cracking down on the media or activists saying something. But really, more and more, we need the public to speak up and, you know, hold the media accountable, hold information that they are viewing, you know, as critical, but also to challenge the kind of information that they're getting. 
Let's go for a very quick break. On the show with me today is Wachala Naidu. She's the Executive Director at the Centre for Independent Journalism. We continue our conversation after these messages. Keep it here on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn. I'm Dashan Johan. And on the show with me today is Wachala Naidu. She's the Executive Director at the Centre for Independent Journalism. And we are talking about the importance of media freedom. So, Wachala, um, before we get into the, the self-regulation, because I want to talk to you about the, um, the, the, the Media Council Bill, but you know, let's talk broadly about um, the importance of freedom of press, right? Because Prime Minister Anwar Ibrahim um, has emphasised the importance of free and responsible media. What is the importance of freedom of press in a democracy? You know, I've been listening to uh, what our Prime Minister has been saying. I was mm-hmm. at um, the Hari uh, Watawan National right. in Epo, uh, Hawana, and when he, you know, he talked about um, the importance of a free and responsible media, but also about creating an enabling environment uh, for media to be uh, to be able to function and do their job, right? The, I remember the idealistic <laughs> view of media, right. but really the importance of media is very critical mm-hmm. because... Um, and it's also critical because we now need to balance the, the various sources of information that we have. Our information ecosystem has changed, right? It's become so diverse. Everything is being amplified within seconds, minutes, and so on. So the media then becomes the, the key conduit that would then be the channel of information, right? And multiple levels of channel of information. The, the first level of channel of information would be information held by government, right? The public authorities, the state, so that we, the public, the general public, are able to access this information. You know, if media doesn't report on all this, where are we going to get this information from, right? So that's very critical. So for us to be more an informed society. Now, when we're an informed society, we can then also start interrogating, I would say, some of the policies which are being made, right? Uh, you know, challenge, you know, what the Prime Minister has said at Parliament. We can even understand the context of what uh, the MP for Putrajaya has brought up, right? right? And if it's not been reported, how are we to be able to get that information? How do we know if we right. should continue, uh, you know, voting for a Prime Minister or the MP for Putrajaya? How are we making our decision, right? right? So for us to make an informed decision is critical. And this is also critical for a nation that is espousing democracy, right? We don't want to turn into a very authoritarian state where it's just one one point of view that is being channeled our way, right? Mm-hmm. The government decides, the government tells us. That's not what we are looking for. We are looking for, a, a, um, you know, our version of democracy as right. it is, the evolving democracy that is grounded in our access to information, our right to information, and to use this information. And I always go back to, and I really appreciate something that happened in the 1940s, right? Where we have our UDHR, which recognizes the need for, you know, uh, to our freedom of expression, free media, right to information. The problem is um, when we talk about today, and we talked about this before the break as well, um, how do you strike that balance between freedom of expression Mm -hmm. and responsible journalism in Malaysia, especially in the digital age? Because things are not like what it used to be in the 90s, in the 80s, in the 70s of the newspaper and just TV, right? That Or just radio, that, that type of media landscape. It had its pros and cons as well. Um, admittedly, social media has freed up a lot of us to all of us have a voice and, and so on and so forth. But how do you strike that balance? 
you know, uh, it's an era where uh, fake news, the disinformation sells, right? right? Um, era where hate speech prevails because, you know, it creates its own echo chambers, right? And media then uh, has very critical role to play in this thing because if you you are not ethical about your practices, you know, uh, and, and you don't understand your role uh, as a channel of news and information and content clearly, then you then media themselves can be proponents, uh, you know, spreading disinformation or hate speech, right? Right. But then the other side of it is the need for media to take on a larger role, mm. right? This is where I think media needs to be really guided in the sense that they they could push forth a, a clear particular narrative that is really grounded on international standards, right? So if media, say, for example, is doing its own fact-checking before they produce content, it kind of automatically is already, you know, taking one step further in terms of the veracity of the content that's been produced. Same thing with then the public themselves, right? We then do our own, you know, uh, checks and balances. So I think there is that 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 need for media to go beyond that the the normal traditional way of reporting. Yeah, the the ecosystem is very very challenging now. It's what you rightly said, right? There's so many competition, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just one media, the news aggregators out there trying to use content from, you know, uh, media organization. There are search engines out there, you know, using content. The social media platforms are u- using news content. So they're all within all these different challenges. As we try to kind of, I think, um, I, I'm not sure if the word is right, empower, but I think like kind of help media to go through these challenges, right? Like, how do you how do you deal with social media platforms, right? How do you make make sure that you, media themselves don't become victims of disinformation or misinformation, but then becomes the space where we trust the information that comes from them has gone through clear fact checking. So there are many things that we we can do to contain it, right? One other thing I wanted to say is that when media also plays a very important role in terms of the kind of narratives which go out there. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, in as much as we say there is that angle that media takes, especially when it comes to human rights issues or issues yeah. of public interest, right? Uh, media can break down the that whole divide between us and them, right? Mm-hmm. When it comes to now, we talk so much about 3R, you know, being divided and polarized society on the basis of race, religion, and royalty. But media can actually take on the role of not pitting us against them. Right. 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 Through the very balanced reporting that they can do to very and, you know, balanced reporting doesn't mean you quote A and you quote B, but balanced reporting means you quote both of them. But then you have, you know, some line uh, in terms of clarity of a certain position with regards to certain standards. Right. And I think we need to push our media towards, uh, you know, re-recognizing that critical role. The other thing I think that's also very important as we media is trying to like struggle within these spaces is how do we encourage media to do more investigative reporting, right? Uh, because that's where you you are literally looking into things. You are going beyond you know statements that are being issued, right? Uh, you you are really uh, investigating what is the core, the root of these problems, the issues, and that's 
why it's critical uh, that public rely on media because we can't go and you know and do our own investigation. We look at investigative journalists to do that. But I think um, it's also very encouraging, especially in Malaysia. We do have a growing uh, group of media journalists uh, looking, especially at environmental reporting, looking at you know climate justice, and really going into um, investigative journalism around these issues now. So it's actually very, very encouraging to see this. Just very quickly on investigative journalism is. Because I think we can have a longer conversation about this, right? Do you think one of the reasons why investigative journalism has sort of died down a lot over the, again, looking at the past couple of decades or so, is again tying back to the way media companies are funded these days? Um, If they are people funded, then they are going to investigate things that are of most interest to the people, the people Mm -hmm. that are ultimately paying their salaries. Mm -hmm. But if, if you're funded by big businesses then all you need to do is deliver clicks and you get your funding. Is that is this shift in the way uh, media, the business of media, one of the reasons why this investigative journalism sort of um, part of media has also sort of um, really reduced over the past um, however many years? Um, I think that's, of course, one of the, the key contributory factors, I would say, right? Like, like your budget allocation, where does the money go in? The money right. probably will be going in for marketing, and branding, as opposed to you know covering travel uh, podiums or investigative pieces, right? Mm. That is true. But also, I think there is also a larger challenge in terms of you know even if individuals with all media organizations want to do investigative journalism, there is actually a, a scarcity in terms of information that is available out there, mm. right? It's so difficult to access information. Uh, there's so many barriers to accessing information. If, you know, we don't have a right to information legislation. Uh, even in Penang uh, and Slangor, which has its own enactments, it can be a very um, challenging process to go through. Penang, you have to pay 50 ringgit for every year's data, right? So the, this po- uh, poses a lot of uh, challenges. And then on the other instance, right, what we see is there are cases where there has indeed been investigative journalism. Uh, they also open themselves up for defamation uh, suits. Right. right. So there is often that this fear of uh, repercussion, retaliation and harassment that comes about. So that's why we say that there needs to be a more enabling and conducive environment for media to flourish and do its job, right? So it's not, I mean, yes, on one hand, definitely that the business profit-oriented model uh, has, but there are there are larger um, things that needs to be also be addressed and you know you know corrected to create this environment. I mean, when I um, and I do some sessions sometimes with you know young university students, journalism students, first year. You know, they're so excited about what they can do, you know, literally, quote, unquote, change the world. Right. But, you know, over the years, after their first year, (laughs) second year, the realities sink in, right? Right. There are indeed too many restrictions. And one of the restrictions, of course, the use of laws, right? There's a whole gamut of laws that's uh, always hanging over the heads of media organizations and journalists. And in a way that can also contribute to some level of self-censorship. Absolutely. So we don't want these um, over-restrictive, oftentimes draconian laws to be used. And this is why um, 
you know, many people in the media, civil society, such as CIJ, for the longest time, y'all have been pushing for this media council bill, or at least to have a media council um, that can sort of regulate um, them, regulate itself. The media council will regulate the media. Could you explain um, the media council bill? Um, uh, you know, where, what is it? What will it entail? Where is it right now in the process? What can we expect from it? Yeah, I think this is something that's, you know, been in the works for the last five decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it got kind of revitalized, uh, I would say, <laughs> or reintroduced uh, in 2019 uh, when uh, YB Gobin was the then Minister of Communications and Multimedia. He had uh, set up a pro tem committee, which was tasked to... Um, to review the current environment uh, and and suggest uh, you know changes that is going to be critical to make it work, and then also to draft the bill uh, or, or, or a model bill at that time. Uh, so the pro tem committee had completed its job um, and it had come up with two two things. One, it came up with a report and what laws need to be changed, what else needs to be changed beyond you know the legal framework uh, to make this uh, workable, as well as drafted a bill. And it's actually available. It was open for public consultation in 2020. It's available online. Uh, since then, I, um, it did go into another round of cold storage for a while, I think with the changes in government. There was some discussion going on, but nothing very concrete or substantive happened during that period. But with this new um, Madani government, uh, uh, why the deputy minister has actually taken a lead in having um, discussions with the pro tem committee, right? And in trying to review the the bill, uh, the draft that was submitted by the pro tem committee, and trying to see how it can meet certain expectations set by the government. Now, the media council, as we, you know, we we talk about. Uh, it has also it, it has evolved in the last five decades, right? Because we've been looking at the experiences and good practices in other countries. And especially we looked at, um, you know, Indonesia, we've looked at India, uh, quite a few other countries, even South Africa and Kenya, Hong Kong, and, you know, different models have been reviewed. Uh, and the kind of model that we are looking at is, uh, one, it has to be self-regulatory. That means it has to be media players coming together. And this includes uh, three categories of people, we said. One, it would be media uh, owners and all the publishers and so on. Second category would be media workers, the journalists, uh, and other media workers and so on. Third category are basically civil society organization or those uh, invested in the media in, uh, landscape in, in Malaysia. And it doesn't have government representative because we are talking about independence. It means you have to be independent of the government, really, right. right? So that's what has been proposed, right? Um, it it would have several functions, but some of the key functions would be to uh, to make sure that they pull together all the different look at the different regulatory framework and pull together a, uh, a code of conduct, uh, mm-hmm. content code for that matter. That would then, you know, as I said, like, we don't need to be re-educated about our standards, but we need to understand how these standards are being interpreted, especially right. when it comes to ethical reporting, right? And uh, so to make sure there's a harmonized standard out there, uh, we don't have three different sets of standards, three different like regulations, you know, regulating the media and so on. And the, and the next thing uh, uh, that's really critical is to ensure that there is a grievance mechanism set up. 
you, because, uh, you know, I keep saying that it cannot just be the government deciding what is true and what is not true, deciding what is ethical and not ethical, right? It has to bring together different people, uh, different stakeholders to make this determination. And I think the media council should set up uh, an independent grievance mechanism in itself with the different stakeholders uh, being able to make the determination, to conduct the investigation, do the inquiry, and to come up with decisions, right? And that, in a way, builds trust in the industry because you have different right. stakeholders there. And then it also takes away the burden from the government. They don't have to then face the criticism of why are you interfering in the work of media? Because you have now set up a mechanism to deal with it. But it also gives public, I would say, access to mechanisms at this point in time. Yeah. Uh, so and then, of course, there is a larger need to kind of like, uh, because as we said, the media landscape, it's continuously evolving in Malaysia and we need to adapt. You know, we are talking about a media council and people out there are talking about social media council. How are we going to bridge these right. big gaps that we are seeing, right? So the, the role of the media council then is to consider different ways of addressing the continuing challenge. You know, one very interesting thing that we learned from Indonesia, for example, and how their media council, they call it the press council, mm -hmm. uh, kind of works together with the government in trying to see how they can um, negotiate uh, with social media platforms in uh, revenue sharing and things like that, right? So I think there are, there are many other roles, critical roles for the media council to play in. Now, we hope we don't go into another cold storage uh, because, you know, there could be certain expectations by the government which may potentially reduce the in independence of it. I think the government uh, of the day will have to realize that if we don't have an independent media council, you're not going to be able to deal with the trust deficit. How are you going to gain the public's trust when it's still the same government and you know, the government agencies then deciding on how media should be functioning? Yeah. So on the one hand, there is the media council that um, civil society is pushing for. On the other hand, do we also need um, to abolish or amend any existing laws um, so that the press has more freedom? Yeah, most definitely. I think uh, two two very important, uh, one is a law, the Printing Presses and Publications Act will have no space, I think, uh, when there is a media council, right? There is no need for licensing and things like that anymore. And in fact, if then if it continues to coexist, it will, that means there will be two different mechanisms now trying attempting to regulate certain print media and so on, right? right. So, uh, so that is one one thing that really I think uh, the the pro tem committee, even in their uh, the initial report, we had already recommended the repeal of PBPA. The second thing is the review of the, uh, of particularly sections two to three of the Communications and Multimedia Act, and and, and this is not just for the media. I think generally for all the netizens out there. It is just too broad, you know. It's continuously being used arbitrarily in in uh, restricting and censoring speech, and then of course we have the Official Secrets Act, uh, which is the the biggest uh, challenge when it comes to access to information. Uh, we need to also look at Sedition Act. Um, uh, especially in terms of uh, how it's being used uh, even at times against media. There are certain provisions within the penal code that needs to be reviewed and amended as well, not necessarily repeal, right? Repeal is PBPA, OSA, and Sedition Act. The rest, I think, requires a lot of amendments. But I think most importantly, we need to look at um, 
sections 504 uh, and 505 of the penal code, which is really about intention to insult and you know, conducive to public mischief and so on, because um, it has the potential to also restrict uh, media. So there are a whole set of laws that really um, need to go. But together with the Media Council, I think the other progressive thing that's happening is the fact that the government just uh, again last week, was it the week before, the Prime Minister announced that they have given the green light for the Legal Affairs Division to proceed with the drafting of, in principle, the drafting of the right to information legislation. So it's it, we are on track. Occasionally, you know, it, it, it might diverge, but you know, hopefully it will meet back at some point. Uh, and we really go forward in terms of the reform that's going to be critical. And that's really why we need the public to really get involved as well, right? So yeah. before we wrap the conversation up, would you just have a final message for us, um, especially with regard to the importance of press freedom? Yeah, I I want to take this message now, not not to the government. My mm-hmm. Usually my final message is to the government about what they need to do, <laughs> but more a call out to the public. I think we really need to be a more informed public now and we need to demand for change, right? We have a very critical role because don't forget, we voted these people at least this time around, we voted these people to power, right? Uh, uh, and that means we also have the duty and the responsibility to hold them accountable. Uh, and we need to constantly challenge. We need to really break away from this, this culture of fear that we often live in. Uh, and we need to challenge decisions which are being made. We need to call for reform. And especially when questions about media comes up, I think the public need to be more literate on one hand uh, in terms of media literacy, digital literacy, but on the other hand, also try to push for the the best ever po- uh, policy reforms that we can see. So when it comes to discussions around media council, I think uh, the public should have a say and definitely have a say and should use the space to say it. You know, and really, it's a huge shout out. Every opportunity you get, do you know, get conversations going, healthy dialogues, healthy debates. It's fine if we disagree but we need to have conversations going on. So it's a huge shout out this time to all the listeners. I would say, let's let's play our role uh, in a more constructive and substantive way. Absolutely. And on that note, Wachala, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> that was Wachala Naidu. She's the Executive Director at the Centre for Independent Journalism. If you missed any part of this conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Darshan Johan and this has been Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.